was in the habit of, of writing this great triad for him. Faith, hope, and love. You're thinking of 1 Corinthians 13, aren't you? Faith, hope, and love. These three and one is above them all and that is love. But in many of Paul's letters, he will mention faith, hope, and love. Of course, here he's talking about work that is produced by faith, labor that is produced by love, and steadfastness that is produced by hope. But he says, when I think about you, I think about your faith, your hope, and your love. Now go on down to verse uh, verse 8. The word of God has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known, so that we do not even need to speak about it. Your faith has become known. Here was a church that had a reputation of having great faith. So we might read through this letter and, and discover what it means for them to have great faith. Of course, one, one thing is they stood up to persecution. And the fact that they remained firm in the Lord in the face of persecution showed that they had faith in God. But Paul talks a lot about their faith here in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, go over to chapter 3. And verse 5, Paul says, I couldn't wait any longer. I had to send Timothy to you. Why? I had to find out about your faith. Verse 5 of chapter 3. I was afraid that somehow the tempter had tempted you and that our labor had been in vain. But Timothy's just come back from you and brought us a good report of what? Your faith and love. Paul is impressed with the faith of these Thessalonians. And uh, go to 2 Thessalonians and verse chapter 1, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Again, Paul says, we always give thanks to God for you because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith during all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. Again, he praises them for their faith. Interesting. Your faith is growing abundantly. we, we We want our faith to grow, don't we? We want our faith in God to to grow abundantly, just like the Thessalonians. Now, let's go to uh, Philippians, uh, and that's back, isn't it? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You ever wondered why our New Testaments are organized the way they are? That's for another day. Philippians chapter 1. Those aren't the verses I want. Well, Carrie, I don't think I even want Philippians. I think I want Ephesians. That's back, isn't it? Yeah, I want want Ephesians. So I typed the wrong book in my notes. Ephesians chapter 1. Yeah, this is a familiar passage to you. But here's Paul writing to the church in Philippi. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Interesting how those two go together, huh? Faith and love. I've heard about your faith. Verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. 
I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. I'm sorry I'm reading over these words so quickly because they deserve to be read slowly. But I'm praying for you. Paul says, I want God to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. Why? To what end, Paul? So that, verse 18, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? At verse 19 is what I really want us to think about. And so that you will come to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. Paul just piles adjective upon adjective, modifier upon modifier upon modifier. I want you to come to know the surpassing greatness of his power. For those of us who have faith, according to the working of his great power. Do you get the idea that Paul felt the Philippians may not have understood how much power they possessed as God's people? Maybe so. You see yourselves as spiritually weak? You see yourselves as powerless? I want to remind you of the power that is at work within you. You have faith in God. God is working in your life powerfully. And I think I also want to talk about chapter 3. Yeah, chapter 3, verse 20. Where again Paul is in prayer. And this is sort of a doxology, isn't it? Verse 20. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations. The power that is at work in us is more than we can ask for and more than we can even imagine, Paul says. So I want us to take from these passages the idea that when Jesus has given us, Jesus and his apostles have given us a vision for his church, here's what I want you to become. I want us to be convinced that we can become what he wants us to become because we're relying on his power to do so. We're not relying on our own strength. We're relying on spiritual power that he provides. Now, in 10 minutes, I want to share with you just a few ideas on what it might look like if we were people who had great reliance upon God's power. Now, by the way, faith is one of those religious terms, again, that we really need to define, don't we? What does it mean to believe in God? Well, it means to trust in him. Well, what does it mean to trust in God? It means to depend upon him. To rely upon Him. To place our confidence in Him. I'm depending on God. I'm relying on Him. All right. What does a church look like that relies on God? I want to offer a few suggestions here and then I want to hear from you. First of all, let's say this. A church that relies on God makes prayer a priority. Prayer is a priority. We realize our dependence on God. We recognize that we need Him in our lives to be active and involved. And that we can't do things on our own. We need His help. That spells prayer, doesn't it? We're prayerful. And it's interesting to me that when Paul talks about, uh, 
when he writes to the Thessalonians, he says, in my prayers for you. And then when he writes to the Philippians, in my prayers for you. He wants to remind them of the power source, but he also reminds them that he's praying. He's praying for them. And Paul knows where the source is. Paul knows, Paul knows how he gets this strength. It comes from God alone. And so he's depending on God. Prayerful. How prayerful are we? How prayerful are we as individual Christians? How dependent are we upon prayer as a church family? That will show something of our dependence upon God, something of our faith in God. And I would, uh, I'm tempted to throw fasting in here as well, but I don't really like that practice, so I'm not going to talk about it. Prayer and fasting. New Testament church practiced that after Jesus left them. That was a, that was a common activity for them. When they fasted, they concentrated on God and they prayed and they thought about their priorities. But I don't want to say much about that because I enjoy eating too much, Paula. The church that relies on God prays. Okay, number two, here's what I'm thinking. A church that relies on God is fearless. Fearless. And by the way, there's a scripture here I think I want to talk about. Um, if I can find it off, someone may have to help me with this. I'm looking for the scripture. I think it's over here in Mark. Philippians, Philippians where I want to go? Just stay there. Uh, it's, the story I'm looking for, David, is the one where uh, Jesus, is, uh, Jesus and his disciples are in the storm. And uh, he's asleep and they wake him up, scared to death. And this, is in, this, this account is in Mark chapter 4, in case you want to go there. But, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? They, they all wake him up. He's asleep in the stern. Don't you care that we're about to die? And Jesus wakes up, calms the wind, peace be still. The wind ceases, there's a dead calm, and he says to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? I love that statement from our Lord. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? They were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? There's the key question of the Gospel of Mark, by the way. Who is this? Who is this? And Mark says he's God's suffering servant. But anyway, that's for another day. I love that phrase. Why are you afraid? It shows that you have little faith. A church that is growing in faith is fearless. We can do this. We have a mission to accomplish in this world. This is something we can do and we're not going to be afraid of anybody. We're certainly not going to be afraid of what the devil might throw in front of us. Because our faith is in God. A church that relies on God is fearless. And there's one other thing I wanted to say before I turn it over to you. Let me check my notes. I'm sorry. Oh. Matthew 17. I don't know what you think about this passage. I don't know what I think about this passage. Matthew chapter 17. A man with a sick boy comes to Jesus says, I, I brought my boy to your disciples. He couldn't, they couldn't cure him. Verse 16. 
Jesus answers, I think he's turning now to the disciples, not to the men. You faithless and perverse generation. He's talking to the twelve. How much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring your boy here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was cured instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast out this demon? He said to them, Because of your little faith. Because of your little faith. Jesus is always challenging his disciples to grow their faith, isn't he? And he does for us as well. Why could we not cast it out? Because of your little faith. Verse 20. Now here's the verse that I'm perplexed about, have been all my life, still am. For truly, I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Of course, I admit I tend to read this verse as a modernist reads the verse. I tend to read it with more realism than I should. I imagine Jesus is is speaking metaphorically here, don't you? If you just had enough faith the size of a mustard seed. Now, there's not a seed in the world, Jesus told us, that's smaller than a mustard seed. If you just had this amount of faith, you could say to that mountain, move on over there, and it would move. What is Jesus saying? He's saying there's no problem too big. There's no challenge too great if you have just the tiniest amount of faith. So what I want to say right here is that the church of our dreams has big dreams. That's what I want to say. It has big dreams. It challenges itself to make an impact in the world, in the community. That's what I want to say. Now, the church of our dreams that relies on God, that church prays. That church, what do we say number two was? It's fearless. Thank you. That church has big dreams and big goals. Knowing that God can do so much through them. I think we need to hear that just every now and then. So when we think about learning how to handle conflict. When we think about serving our community. Reaching out to the lost. We're not talking about things that God cannot accomplish in us. We're talking about goals that God can accomplish in his people. Because he's powerful. As long as we put our trust in him. We're not engaging in idle talk. All right. I think I've said about all I really want to say, but we'll see. Uh, Now I want to turn it over to you and let you talk a little bit. Uh, We're talking about relying on God, having faith. Sue, start us off. Let me give you a microphone so everybody can hear you. I hope it's on. In the Bible class at our house one time, discussing this, Ron Bradford who is now in the nursing home with Alzheimer's, said, move mountains one shovel at a time. Hmm. (laughs) Good. I haven't had the pleasure of knowing him. Is he a man of faith? Ron Bradford sure does. Anybody else want to talk about this? What does a church that relies on God look like in your opinion, in your estimation? Chuck? 
Well, I'm, I'm reluctant to, to speak up for two reasons. One is I, I don't want to contradict your comments about uh, fasting and <laughs> your lack of, <laughs> of enthusiasm for it. But secondly, I, 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 it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a topic that's important to me, but in a very humbling way. Um, and I, I, I don't go out of my way to talk about it much, but I found that fasting is an, a, an essential part of my personal experience in prayer and study because, and, and there's plenty of, of things that you can look at from the standpoint of cleansing the body and cleansing the mind and all that. I, I'm not going to go there but, but, and, and, but because I believe that is important. But, boy, when it comes to, I believe, the reason why Jesus associates prayer and fasting together is because of the clarity that is there. Because in a time of fasting, you aren't thinking about anything about preparation of food, much less taking care of any of the chores around the house. That's the intent anyway, is, is the intent of fasting is not just fasting from food, but fasting from anything that's going to get your mind distracted from the fo- a focus on prayer. Right. And another aspect of fasting is that during the course of fasting, it's a constant reminder for prayer. Because I don't know about you, but I get hungry all the time. And by spending time in fasting, that hunger is a reminder that, of why I'm fasting. Mm, good. And so, as you kind of alluded to, um, boy, you don't quit praying. Because, yeah, I'm hungry now. Ooh, I'm hungry in 10 minutes. Ooh. And it's a reminder, why am I hungry? It's because I'm fasting and it's because I'm in prayer. So... Um, yeah, but anyway, and there, there's so much more to it that I don't even I don't even know what to pin down on fasting as opposed to prayer, but boy, those two together are a uh, powerful, uh, just essential. And yet, at the same time, I do want to emphasize that that um, people that I know that are the most spiritual and mentors to me don't fast uh, from food, and so I'm not saying that that you have to fast. But boy, I'll tell you what, it's sure. It sure has been a transformation for myself and my relationship. Have you found that it sharpened your spiritual senses to do that? I don't know. You'd have to ask God. Because, uh, to be honest with you, we can get awfully (laughs) confused about what really is God's way and what is my way of thinking of who God is. Mm. But I do believe that it does make a difference because, boy, some of the things that I had a conception of God have been blown away through times that I've spent in prayer and fasting and have changed my perspective, my priorities, um, my goals, my intent, my, my outlook. It's good, Chuck. You're right. Everything you say there, you're right. Comments, questions, pushback. Okay, it's going to be a short class today. Justin, then Jeff. I'm not really sure where I'm going to go with this, but I think things that challenge us difficulties that we have in our walk or um, 
think somehow if if we're able to let God work and whatever that is that can be going on in our life, if we don't let it take over who we are, um, I think God has a lot of power or potential to be able to, if, if we're able to work through whatever challenge that is with God, we come out on the other side, I think, sometimes somehow stronger than mm-hmm. than we were before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe a good word for what I'm trying to describe is perseverance through some kind of trial or something in life. Um, not giving fair. up easily, realizing there's a reason that we're pushing forward through whatever difficulty might be going on in our lives. And through that, I think, you know, our faith is hopefully grow stronger, not because we're, you know, so capable and strong to work through whatever that might be for each individual person, but because God is able to work intimately with us in our lives um, to yeah. bring us out on the other side. Yeah. So. And when a church collectively goes through hard times and struggles... It strengthens their faith collectively as well. Same is true of churches for individuals. Jeff? I saw a really powerful illustration this last week. Um, he was just talking about being in your house and there's a leak and there's a flood in your house. And he was uh, comparing the church to, he talked about all these uh, posts that we see on Facebook and so forth about things the church needs to be doing differently. And I think that's healthy. I think we do need to look at that. And there's, there's a, a balance that we need to strike in our life where how much I'm doing and how much effort I'm putting into this and how much I'm genuinely relying on God for things that are way outside of my control. In the illustration, he's looking all over the house for where the leak is, and he's in the basement, and he's adjusting different pipes, and it's as the church is, this is what we need to fix, and this is what we need to fix. And then he panned back, and they showed the entire neighborhood was underwater. And this man's running around his house trying to find the leak, and the the situation was way worse than he understood. And they were talking in this class about how church attendance is down, not just in this church, in all churches. Voting is down. Politics, it's, it's affecting everything. This is massive flood. It's affecting all kinds of things. And just as Israel was brought to the Red Sea, it didn't matter how many buckets they had uh, to try to bail the water out from in front of them. Um, There does come a point in our life and in our faith and in the church where we've done everything we can, but what is in front of us is impossible. It's way beyond us. And that's where faith comes in because God does still part seas. He does still move mountains. He does still do these things. And there are situations like in our country and so forth. Man, we need to say, hey, what does the church need to do? What can we do? But there are scenarios where we need to step back and be realistic and say, there is nothing we can do right now, except for get on our knees and ask him to part a sea for us. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where faith comes in is, man, God, I want to put everything on the table for you. But at the same time, when I recognize that Red Sea in front of me, that wall of Jericho in front of me, I need to understand this is God's territory. Only, I need he, you can, to do only he can do it. Yeah. That's right. <clears throat> Babe. Thank you, John. Um, sometimes I th- 
feel like our focus is more on our personal spiritual challenges. And, and for some reason, um, we may shy away from the collective challenges that we can meet as a church. And um, I'm not sure if that I'm making sense here, but as a body, I, th- I feel like it's really important that we challenge our we challenge our faith as a collective group of people of what God, how God can use us in mighty ways in wherever uh, he, may, he may lead us or direct us. And that sometimes I feel like it's easy to get stuck on our own personal faith challenges without looking at how our faith as a collective body can be challenged because spiritual atrophy occurs when there's no challenge and there's no push to strive. And in that, we never see how big God is. Mm -hmm. It ends up being what we as a body can do. And that's scary, I think, with when a big group of people says, we're going this direction and we feel like we've prayed and we fasted and this is where we feel like we're being led, but we're, we're not real sure how we're going to get there. But we're going to trust that God is going to lead us where we believe he's calling us. And that's really difficult and um, one that I think is important as a body that we try to step into um, at times. And maybe it is that we, as Jeff said, that we're all just going to meet up here. We don't know what we can do at this point, but on Tuesday night, you're gonna, if anyone wants to join us, we're going to be on our knees here in prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, and as a body, we, ch- we tackle things. When it's all individual, we can become kind of separated and I think but there's greater availability of God's power when we're united as a body and stretching our faith together and seeing what God can do because he can it's Good. whether or not we'll trust him to power in the collective mm-hmm. hand that back to Kathy would you hun? which I think brings us back to Chuck's fasting you know there's, and you may have talked about this before I came in. There's so many examples of where God, where God <clears throat> or the, uh, the people call for in response to um, God's wrath about to come upon them, corporate fasting and prayer. Yes. Um, and I'm not speaking from experience. I am not someone who fasts. Um, I say that, and yet... I do fast in times of crisis mm-hmm. and in, in times of change points. You know, if, if there's a point where, wow, a big decision is before us or there's a big um, crisis, you know, I, I naturally fast. I put, you know, I just don't, I'm not hungry. And I'm in prayer and I'm seeking God you know, at those times, I'm crying out. Usually, yes. is the the posture really more, um, yes. and and I think that is an element of fasting. You know, the question I have to ask myself, and that I'm always convicted with in that is, do I naturally do that as easily with spiritual crisis as I do with emotional crisis? And you know, what I think we see um, a church that relies on God views spiritual crisis more prominent than physical or emotional crisis. Right. And I have a long ways to go in that. But 
Good. My guess is that many of us fasted during this shepherd selection process, which is a good thing. Crying out to God for direction. Any other comments? Susan? I'm kind of struck by nearly every time the passages that you read also included love for one another. Mm-hmm. And so if a church doesn't have love for one another, and I think that can affect the faith level. Mm-hmm. Good. It can affect the faith level. Yeah, the body has to be a place where faith can grow. In the absence of love, it's hard, it's, hard for, it's hard for that environment to produce people who grow in their faith. We are a hothouse for growing faith. And uh, that hothouse needs some tender loving care. Well, any other comments? All right. I want you to pray for me this week. Uh, Will you do that? Just make a special effort to pray for me because next week, next Sunday, our class is going to be about the willingness to change. The church, the church of our dreams is willing to change. In what ways? I want to talk about how we need to be attuned to the culture in which we live and how we need to be willing to kill some of our sacred cows in order to reach out to a culture that may be different from one that we're accustomed to. So we need to be willing to change in some ways. I had a conversation with my dad last night, which was interesting. My, my, my folks live in South Georgia, and Daddy preached for a long, long time, and now he's serving as a shepherd for a church in South Georgia. And uh, we talked about Sunday and oh, oh, what's going on Sunday. Well, what are you doing Sunday? And he said, well, we're, we're dismissing church Sunday night. They still worship on Sunday night in the church where they are in South Georgia. We're dismissing church. Now, Dad, Dad uh, is older than I am. <laughs> and uh, he said, I said, well, what do you, what do you, why are you dismissing He's male. He's preached for a long time. Uh, He has certain convictions. Uh, I said, well, what are you going to do? He said, well, he said, we're going to have a service Sunday. He said, we're going to meet Sunday morning. And then the afternoon and evening, we're challenging everyone to serve. Serve someone. Go into the community and serve. Serve someone. I said, Dad, that's a great idea. Well, he said, I hate to give up Sunday night. He said, when I was a preacher, I really enjoyed Sunday night. I mean, I was more relaxed. And, and Have you ever experienced that, Jeff, preaching on Sunday night? It's different than preaching on Sunday morning, isn't it? And he said, I just really enjoy Sunday night. He said, but he said, our attendance on Sunday night is dreadful right now. He said, and I'm, he said I, I read about more and more churches that are dismissing their Sunday night services. And... Uh, well, I think that's an area where we need to be willing to change, if I would use an illustration. We need to be willing to change. Dad said, you know, there's nothing in the Bible about going to church on Sunday night. I said, no, there's not. Uh, 
So pray for me this week as we get as we prepare to think about in what ways we should be willing to change. In what way should we attune to the culture? In what way should we say no to the culture? I mean, there's a line there. So I need your prayers. All right, let's close with a prayer. Father, thank you so much for your love of us, for your care of us, for your spirit that lives in us and directs us, gives us wisdom. We thank you, Father, that you made us your children. And as your children, we pray that you would help us do all you can to help us to grow our trust in you and our reliance upon you. We acknowledge our sins and that we have room to grow and we ask for your help as we do so. In Jesus' name, amen.